Hey guys, it's Hadley. And it's Emily. And the bitches are back. And things are going to get dark. Damned. And disturbed. Okay, so it's not just Emily and I here right now. Wow. We have... This is the first episode with a special guest that's going to go out. This is not the first recorded episode with a special guest, but still just as special. Um, it's our own little country my bumpkin. Sister, my sister is here, <laughs> our own little country bumpkin. Y'all better hush. Who told us, and I quote, I can't get it prior to getting into recording. She said, I can't get it. <laughs> I'm not a technology savvy person, okay? I was struggling. It was like talking to mom, trying to get, trying to, <laughs> trying to guide her through how to get on here. I just want to let everyone know that Google is free. <laughs> I kept having to mute Emily because I swore Emily was going to kill. Thought Jerry was going to kill Emily. But my sister Jerry is here. She's live on the track with Dookie and I. Um, Emily, Hello, everybody. Emily, one day changed her name. If Jerry's audio sounds a little bit weird, sorry guys, she doesn't have a mic. This was very haphazardly planned, but it sounds okay on our end yeah. this way, so I don't think it'll be a problem. But, so today, in the spirit of Halloween, we're talking about the Candyman. Ooh, Ooh smoky! Smoky! By the way, I am the niece, I'm the mother of Denise who says smoky, so that's what I'll be using this whole time. Smoky. I guess I should stop saying my niece. She's also Emily's niece. Emily yes. and mine's niece. Mine's. Tater tot. Emily and mine's. Annie M. Tater tot. She says smooky. Not spooky, but smooky. So <laughs> that seems to be the only adjective that can be used now. Not the word spooky or spooky, but spooky. Smooky. Smooky. Okay, so we're going to just jump on in here. So Dean Coral was born in 1939 in Fort Wayne, Indiana. His parents were said to not have the best marriage, and they would fight all the time. But from all accounts, they were not having, like, strange or unusual fights. It was just, like, normal married people type bickering and arguing, which that's pretty much a Tuesday when Gary is home. So, <laughs> Ditto. He is trifling. I've called you out just now, Gary. You're welcome. Um, his father was described as a strict disciplinarian, and it's not known for sure if this was on an abusive level or, like really how intense it was he would dish out punishments that you know i don't think he was really doing anything that was out of the norm or more severe than what was uh normal for the 1940s um yeah. but back then that, that was really pretty harsh it. though i believe I it could have been like dragging your kid behind a car <laughs> <laughs> um his parents ended up splitting up and divorcing in 1946 and they did Reconcile, reconcile, and they got reconcile. married. Second child. Well, it's because my computer like does this really great thing where it sometimes spells words correctly, and then it'll autocorrect like when I spell something wrong, and then other times it's like we're gonna leave it. It's cool <laughs> like that, and so then sometimes you spelled it wrong so many times, it's relearned it. <laughs> <laughs> and I keep forgetting that with this MacBook, I can like use use the like talk to text. I probably should just start doing that. That's smart. But they get married a second time. And then they divorced a second time. What? So just very indecisive. Oh, that one coming? <laughs> yes. So his mom at this point, she was like, okay, we really just need a fresh start. We're going to head south. And she eventually did marry again. Um, and she married a traveling salesman named 
Vidor and oh no I'm so stupid his name is not Vidor they settled in Vidor Texas I can't read today <laughs> anyway I'm doing really great pray for Hadley pray for me it's been a very long day while he was in school he Dean was well behaved and he was just an average student he didn't get the best grades but he also didn't get the worst ones he apparently dated a few girls from their neighborhood and really by all accounts he was a totally normal 1950s child there was nothing really odd or unique about him or his situation. He was just an average Joe, if you will. Boring. An average Dean. Boring. Um, also, shout out you. Jerry hasn't watched it yet, but you need to. So, you know, get on that. Please do. Um, please do. I, I don't have time. We watched SpongeBob and Bubble Guppies in this house, okay? <laughs> yeah, it's definitely an after the kids go to bed TV show. <laughs> but so his mom and stepdad started a candy company named pecan prince and emily don't even start with me and try to tell me it's pecan no, will vote you off the island it is pecan pecan yeah, you will be i will boot you from the recording man because literally i noted here i don't care what you say emily get out of here with your cons of soup and soda you know your cons of soup and cons of soda ma'am good day um because emily likes to argue with jerry and i that it's pecan you know what we're gonna take a survey on the facebook page when this comes out pecan or pecan if you on tiktok if you remembered Oh. Yeah, if you only if only I'm Emily ever talks. I'm leaving. <laughs> Damn, we're five minutes in and Jerry's got no shade. Anyway, Dang. <laughs> but um, I don't care who you are, or who your mama is, or what your mama says. It's pecan because I personally don't buy cons of soup, but that's just me. <laughs> I don't. Know. I think if you're French, you get a pass. But yeah, that's yeah, 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 Guess yeah. what? I'm like, French. No, you're not. Shut your mouth. Being from Louisiana don't make you French. Baby, no, I'm not. I'm nine percent. I'm nine percent. She got yeah. one ancestry done, and now she's like, I'm a little bit of everything. I really am. She's like, I'm one percent this and two percent that. I'm like, shut up. Okay, okay. Back to Dean. Back to Dean. <laughs> so they started their family candy company in their garage, and from the jump, he was very important in the company. His stepdad would sell the candy while he was out traveling for work, and then he and his younger brother would operate the machines that produced the candy. His mom eventually did divorce and <sighs> did divorce her second husband, and at that point. Dean had been working the candy shop for a few years, and he did briefly go back to Indiana to take care of his widowed grandma, and in 1962, he found himself back in Texas, and he was, you know, helping his mom with a new venture that they had planned. They, what? Why are y'all flicking each other off? I said she yawned, and I said no, no yawning allowed. Oh. <laughs> Gosh, Jerry, sorry. in the screen going... <laughs> Because <laughs> I'm going to start yawning and then Hadley's going to yawn. Anyway, back to Dean. So Dean or Beaner. Back to Dean if you guys are done. So <laughs> they, changed, they changed the candy company name to Coral Candy Company. And they gave the business some TLC in the Houston area. At this point, Dean was the vice president of the company. And his younger brother was the secretary and treasurer. And in 1964, Dean was drafted into the army. And he only served about 10 months. And he was successfully given the hardship discharge that he applied for. Because he explained to them that he his mom needed help running their family business. Man, what a way to get out of the draft, though. But like, oh, I have to <laughs> make candy. Sorry. Um, <laughs> I don't think that would work anymore. Um, he kept working the family business. But things were not quite what they seemed. So it started to seem like he was possibly interested in some younger boys, like oh, no. variety. 
Um, and one of the teenage boys that worked at the company complained that to Dean's mom that he had made some sexual advances toward him, but instead of confronting her son about it, she just fired the kid. Um, oh no. They must not have had an HR department. <laughs> no, the candy company did not have an HR department, it seems. She was the HR department. <laughs> she was. <laughs> but this candy shop was like a teenage boy hotspot. They were That's like- weird to me. They I don't know like, any teenage boys, but I don't feel like the candy shop would be where we would 60s. go. This was the 60s. Walmart. Yeah. <laughs> I don't feel like a normal teenager. <sighs> so- they were like flocking to the candy shop, not just as employees, but also as customers. And some of them had come from so like some not so great homes. And Dean was kind of able to establish a relationship with them. What was that face for? Because I realized I've heard this story. Oh, I'm really proud of you. There was so, a documentary. I don't remember where, but I've, I've heard of this story. So Dean put a pool table in the back of the factory where the employees and friends could hang out during the day. And at this point, most of the employees were teenage boys, and he was said to be very openly flirtatious with them, and he oh, was no. very, very friendly. We don't oh, like no. that. That's not a vibe, sir. Not a vibe. Not passing the vibe check. Uh, one of the boys was 12-year-old David Brooks, and he, like a lot of the other people, was brought to the company under the same premise that most of the other boys were, which was like, it's got candy and a place to hang out. Honestly, can't lie to you, that would probably tempt me as well can't lie yeah for sure um, i can't lie i'm a I'm you're not his type you wouldn't have been invited what kind of candy you got what kind of candy you know that's my next question what kind of candy you got skittles? you got some cinnabon you got some skittles <laughs> so over a two-year period he groomed david and was slowly building a relationship with him and by the time david was 14 dean was sexually abusing him oh no he was giving him presents and money to keep quiet about the abuse and the worst part is david saw dean as a father figure so i'm just imagining this like sweet little babe just being like wow you know you're like my dad you must have nothing but great interests in mind for me and really you're just yeah, like you you want to be around me in a wholesome helpful way and then just like ripping that to shreds that's terrible yeah literally so now we jump ahead to September of 1970. His mom divorces her now third husband. Um, oh, we on a roll. I hope she's okay. Wasn't it her second husband, her third marriage, because she married the first guy twice? Well, this is her third husband. She's divorcing her third husband. It's not her third divorce. Oh, I thought she married the same guy twice and then was yeah, married. This is her yeah. third husband. Her so her husband. fourth marriage. I yeah. Fourth marriage, third husband. Okay, okay, my bad. I, sorry, <laughs> I got lost. Now that Jerry's back. <laughs> And so she moved to Colorado, which, like, shout out Colorado. Anyway, neither of y'all have been there, but anyway, mm, shout out Colorado. Wow. Um, I called you both out. I don't care. Jerry, you want to go to Colorado? Sure, I'll pack a bag. I'm, I got I got Delta Miles. Where are we going? I'm going to hell with these kids. <laughs> but Dean decided to stay behind in Houston because he started working as an electrician. And around this time, he also moved into a new apartment, and this is where things started to get a lot worse. Oh, no. The first known victim of the Candyman is an 18-year-old named Jeffrey Conan. He was hitchhiking from Austin to Houston. He was apparently looking for a ride to his girlfriend's house, and it is believed that Dean picked him up offering him a ride. In December, he abducted two more teenage boys and he tied them to his bed and was in the middle of sexually assaulting them when David walked in on him and literally caught him mid-act. Oh, man. So, Dean tells David that he was part of a gay 
pornography ring. And then later, he ended up confessing to David that he killed him. <gasps> and now this is where things get worse, which I, at, at any, I don't. How, how, how is it worse? worse? How does it keep getting hey, worse? Um, he decided that he needed to buy David's silence. So he not only bought him a Corvette, but he started paying him $200 per boy that he would bring home to him. And David was like, ah, I too like money. This sounds like a great idea. And so he started doing this. But it's murder. Well, at the murder. time. At the time, I, I don't, I don't even know. I don't know how, but listen, I, none of it makes sense. None of it makes sense. Oof. So David starts bringing, he brings, he starts bringing uh, boys to Dean. And one of the boys that he brought home was named Elmer Wayne Henley. But Dean decided not to murder him. And he instead decided Elmer was best suited for being a part of the scheme like David was. He ended up telling Elmer the same story, that he was a part of a gay pornography ring, and that he was willing to pay for any boys that he would bring to him. Elmer yeah. later said, quote, Dean told me he would pay me $200 for everybody I could bring in, and maybe more if they were really good-looking boys. That's a lot of money back then. I mean, that's you a lot of money do. now. Can you also just imagine, like, the, the awful luck that you could have just, like, walking home one day, and then one of these three creeps just happens to see you, and he's like, that one looks as like a that mother, one, this is like that one looks like a worst nightmare scenario. But like, he looks like two seventy five. I'm gonna take him. Like, how? Like, ew. People disgust me. Mm -hmm. um, so obviously, this is already awful because of what they're doing. But Elmer did say that he was never actually paid more than five to ten dollars for uh, each of the boys that he what brought. Are you home. Doing? What that is what these boys were worth to Dean. Five to ten dollars. Sir, this is not what we agreed upon, and I am uh, quitting out my contract. If someone plans to murder me and like purchase me to murder me, I hope I'm worth at least more than ten dollars. I need five dollars a pound. Gary will sell me for probably fifty and a and like a case and like a six pack of Bud Light. Eleven fifty. Yeah, he's gonna have the orange juice with his Bud Light though. He probably does. I mean, for real, you get him a, a nice bottle of bird dog and give him some chicken wings. He probably would be like, "Yeah, you can have her." Like, no, no. Lie. Thanks. Goodbye. No <laughs> gifts. <laughs> no gifts. Go ahead and take her. Quit before I don't change my mind. <laughs> um, Elmer says that he didn't accept the offer at first, but eventually his family fell on financial hardships, and he had no choice but to help him. Last I checked. You can literally do anything except murder for hire at that point. Like, you can literally... Yeah. Like, maybe get an actual job that pays you more than $5 per human body that you bring to this creep. Um, but he did say that even though his pay was less than he anticipated, he was still flattered to be included in the scheme. Mm -mm. How are you flattered by that? How insecure do you have to be? Mm-hmm. Incredibly. Mm -hmm. So between David and Elmer, they were luring boys between 13 and 20, and they were using Dean's muscle car, which was a Plymouth GTX, or his white van, very stereotypical, yeah. uh, to lure these boys in, and they would use candy, drugs, or alcohol to get them inside. And once they had the boys, things went south pretty quickly. Oh, no. They would tie the boys to a wooden torture board, and then the three of them would... I'm sorry, trigger warning! Um, Thank you! I'm feeling dad. very triggered. <laughs> um, so they would tie the boys to a wooden torture board and the three of them would rape them and then depending on what mood they were in they would either shoot them or strangle them to death oh my goodness um, 
what like sprinkling is just so personal too like i I, like please just shoot me put me out of my misery please god yeah but listen with my luck if someone were to shoot me i would just be like severely injured and i would just lay there and flop and take yeah. like, half an hour to die that's my just, like dead dead. just play dead just play yeah, dead. dead um uh every single boy that they brought slash captured was murdered by not only dean but also david and elmer were assisting with these things so it kind of just it really somehow it just keeps getting worse it just i don't i don't understand but just when you think but wait there's more right david later said that elmer was quote especially sadistic but i did read somewhere that elmer was like trying to like pan this out like he wasn't a murderer or monster but like bestie you're lying (laughs) update you are how did he think that was gonna play out for him how did even even if you did not lay a single hand on any of these boys aside from getting them from where you picked them up and took them to where this happened to them you are just as guilty because you played they would not be there if it was not for you he could have stopped them at any point he could have tried to stop them or intervened Gone. Or done something at any point. Please could have done anything, but yeah, literally, because literally, also, got, go get a neighbor. Like, I can't imagine that these, like, the parents of these children were not putting out like some type of a reward. Like, homie, you could finesse the system. Like, that's like people back then too. They would think a lot of people would run away, so like it wasn't like a big deal. And made so, about it. You know, there some of these families may have been offering like reward, like cash rewards for tips on what happened to their kids. So like I know that some people they do be like stealing dogs, trying to <laughs> trying to get a reward when they turn them back in. They're like, Oh my god, I found your dog, thanks for the thousand dollars. Like, but I just needing money Poor is not a good reason. I wouldn't put no a reward. Reason, there's no mm-hmm. good reason to murder anyone, but doing it for ten dollars is definitely not enough. No, that's um, not it. No. Um on April 20th, 1972, 17-year-old Mark Scott disappeared, and his parents were frantic and reported him missing as soon. And as soon as they did this, they started calling everyone they could to try to find him. A few days later, the family got a postcard from Mark that said he had found a job in Austin making, get ready for this, $3 an hour. Oh. Um, which I think that was a decent chunk of change back then, but I don't know. Didn't bother to do the conversion. And so he basically, he basically says... Um, I got a job in Austin making $3 an hour and that I'm, that he was fine. That was it. So he was like, no, I'm good. Like, my little $3 an hour, I'm good. Uh, but his parents were like, <laughs> no, <laughs> and absolutely not. He would never leave town without telling us goodbye. But when they talked to the police, they didn't get much help, just like many of the other families who had missing boys. One father named Everett Waltri- Waldrop said, I camped on the police department door for eight months, but all they did was say, why are you down here? Your boys are runaways. So Jerry called it. Um, a lot of these people were considered to be runaways because, you know, instead of doing actual police work, we point the blame. Okay, so minimum wage um, in 1960 was a dollar, uh, which is $6.65, or, well, maybe like $7 now because that was a 2011 number. And in 1967, it was $1.40. So $3.00. Yeah, this is 72, so probably a little a little above minimum wage. Okay, so, yeah. So, <laughs> can, I, can you just imagine that, like, you go to the police, and these are, like, the people who you literally pay tax dollars for them to help you, and then you get there, and they're just like, hmm. Nah. No, sorry. Um, 
you know, they're giving off very much so like LAPD vibes. I said what I said. LAPD. I can't imagine if that happened being in that situation. Like, it. it whew, you yeah. I mean? Like, how do you even go to bed? Like, how do you go to bed at night? Like, I would never sleep again. I would like, um, because also had they taken this seriously, like from the jump, they possibly could have found some of these boys alive. Like, had they just put mm-hmm. in like I don't know maybe five percent effort, but whatever. Um, unfortunately, despite the Houston Police Department's amazing detective work and telling this poor father his children were runaways, that, in fact, was not true. Dean killed both of Everett Waldrop's sons. Wow. 15-year-old Donald and 13-year-old Jerry. So, you know, way to go. 13-year-old? Yeah. Yeah. Now, the reason the police apparently weren't being helpful is because in the 1970s in Texas, it wasn't illegal for kids to run away. So they were like, eh, sorry, we're not going to help you. Like, no laws are being broken. Your kids just run away. But the good news is, is that the chief of police for Houston was voted out of office in the first public election after the murders became known to the public. So he was apparently like part of the reason why things weren't being taken seriously. So they got some change in there pretty quick. Um, And in a shocking twist of events, after three years and 28 total victims, Dean actually turned on, um, turned on Elmer. 28. Mm -hmm. Wow. I think I had this backwards. I think it was, yeah, yeah, yeah. Dean turned on Elmer. So on August 8th, 1973, Elmer, Elmer had lured two teens, Tim Curley and Rhonda Williams to come back to Dean's house. Now, Rhonda is apparently the only female that was ever targeted by them, and Elmer later said that he wasn't planning on doing anything to her or Tim. They were just there to party. Okay, Elmer. All right. Whatever All you right. Tell. We don't believe you. Whatever you tell yourself. They all started drinking and huffing paint, so they were high and oh drunk. Oh, God. Boy, boy, what a night. Jeez um, Louise. What happened to the candy? Just go back to the candy. Go back to the candy, man. And they fell asleep much earlier than they thought they would. When they woke up, Elmer noticed something that was a little unusual. He wakes up and realizes that there's something different about how he's currently existing. He looks over and sees Rhonda and Tim are both tied up, but then he's like, oh, I too am tied up. Oh my god. (laughs) Nay, nay, sir. This is unbelievable. (laughs) So Dean was screaming at Elmer and waving his 22 caliber pistol at him saying, I'm going to kill you, but first I'll have my fun. Dean then carried Elmer into the kitchen to let him know just how set, upset he was with him for bringing a girl back to the house. Elmer started pleading with him, begging him to let him go and that they could kill Tim and Rhonda together. And he ended up letting him go. And then the two of them took them into the bedroom, tied them to the, uh, the torture board that they had. And in order to tie them up, Dean had to put the gun down. So some good news here. Rhonda survived, and Rhonda later said um, that Dean seemed really shaken up with something in Elmer, saying, quote, he stood at my feet and just all of a sudden told Dean he couldn't keep, he couldn't keep going on. He couldn't, um, he couldn't let him keep killing his friends and that he had to stop it. Dean looked up at him and was surprised, so he started getting up, and he was like, you're not going to do anything to me. Then with seemingly no hesitation, Elmer picked up the gun, shot Dean <gasps> six times, and killed him. And Good this is what finally put the horrendous crimes to a halt. Elmer, after killing Dean, called the police and confessed what he did. And then he and David started giving their official statements. And they thankfully showed the police where all of the bodies had been buried. 
Now, it should be noted that David was denying any involvement with these murders. Of it, course. Within a week, police found 17 bodies from makeshift graves in a boathouse shed, and they Man. realized that there were they were that 10 more bodies were found on High Island Beach in the woods near Lake Sam Rayburn. It took until 1983 for the 28th victim's remains to be found, and they don't know how many other victims Dean had without David or Elmer's knowledge. Elmer ended up being convicted of for six murders, and he was given six life sentences. David was sentenced to one life sentence for the murder he was for the murder he was convicted of. Now, of course, <laughs> Elmer, because he's a literal piece of wet lettuce, in prison has made a Facebook page for his artwork that he makes in prison. And a lot. How does he get Facebook in prison? I need somebody to explain that to me. I don't know, but a lot of people have some things to say about his role in the murders, and people are shockingly not a fan of him. Hmm. He's spoken out and said, He spoke out and said, quote, My only regret is that Dean isn't here now, so I could tell him what a good job I did killing him. What a weird freaking flex, man. <laughs> what? Sorry what that weirdo. I murdered you, but I wish you were here for me to tell you how cool it was and how well I did with murdering you. <laughs> Sick um, job, that, bro. That shows you, like, how, like, he, like, really thought, like, this guy was, like, a dad figure, because he's, like... Well, no, 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 this is, uh, this is Elmer. This is not David. David was the one that thought he was a father figure. Oh, goodness gracious. So, I didn't know this, but he is one of the people that they featured in the second season of Mindhunter, which is on Netflix. I need to watch that. I just haven't started it yet, but since being in prison, David has refused interviews, and he doesn't talk much to Elmer, and David died in prison in 2020 from COVID-19. Ooh. As for shame. There's really not much known about him, and a lot of his life is still unknown. And honestly, now that he's dead, those who did know him probably try to pretend like they didn't know him, which is I personally would. a literal piece of trash. Yeah. Um, and I do just want to cover all of the victims really quick that I haven't mentioned yet because I feel like it's important to just say their names and a little bit of what happened to them. After Jeffrey Conan was Jimmy Glass and David Yates. These are likely the two that David walked in on. They disappeared in December of 1970 and were never seen again, and they too were labeled as runaways. Mm-hmm. Donald and Jerry Waldrop, I mentioned their father, was the one that camped outside the police station. They were taken from a bowling alley, and they were strangled to death by Dean. Randall Harvey, he was taken on his way to work, and there's not much info about him. He was brought back to Dean's apartment and shot in the head. He was one of David's friends, and he was 15 years old. Oh, my God. Mally Winkle and David Hillegeist, the boys were lured back to Dean's house where they had partied at before, and they were both strangled to death by Dean and then buried in the boat shed. Mm. Their parents told were told they were runaways, and they fought the police tooth and nail on that, and David's parents even offered their own thousand dollar reward for their son's return or any information they even hired a pi to try and find him and the worst part about this is that the neighborhood people were searching for these boys and one of those who was helping with the search was none other than elmer and we do know that we know that he ended up being brought into the scheme so he was literally helping look for them knowing damn well what was going on how is how a psycho but they do it all the time you hear that all the time they insert themselves in well they do that because it makes they think it makes them look less suspicious if like your help why would you help with the investigation if you were the one who did it um and there was an unknown victim and then a boy named frank aguire i believe how you say his last name elmer randomly picked up a boy on the street who he didn't know at all it was just a totally random kid and next elmer brought frank who worked at long john silvers and had a fiance 
Elmer watched Dean handcuff him, handcuff him, and he was strangled to death and buried at High Island. Mark Scott was another one of Elmer's friends. Um, also, side note, friends don't let their friends be murdered for money. These people were not actually his friends. Yeah. I clarification. He doesn't um, know what a friend is. Right. And Mark was actually one of the few victims who fought back and actually got a knife and cut Dean. But then Elmer pointed a gun at his head and he stopped fighting. And they didn't rape oh, him. Poor they man. just him. There's Billy Balk and Johnny Delone. Billy was 17 and Johnny was 16. They were hanging out at Billy's and left to go get soda and Elmer was able to lure them under the prospect of a party. Michael Balk, yep, Billy's brother, 14 months after his own brother's death, got picked up after he got his hair cut. Oh my gosh. I'm never leaving my children leave the house without me. No. An unknown victim, a 21-year-old father who was hitchhiking to Baton Rouge to see his wife and newborn baby. Aww. Homer Garcia and two unknown victims. Elmer knew him from his driving classes, and the other two were Elmer's neighbors. Then they moved in across the street from him. Billy Lawrence was a 15-year-old, and he was forced to write a letter to his dad saying that he was leaving and would be back in August. His dad worked for the post office, and the last line of the letter said, quote, Daddy, I hope you know I love you, your son, Billy. He okay, was kept ripped my heart out. He was kept alive for three days, attached to the torture board, and Elmer said that Dean, quote, really liked him. Aww. Vomit, Rusty Branch, no. Rusty Branch was the son of a police radio tech, and the only thing known about him, um, this is a trigger warning, is that his penis was severed while he was still alive. Oh my god. There were seven unknown victims in the summer of 1973. Elmer admitted he helped Dean because David moved away and got married, and he helped him kill eight different boys. And finally, Stanton Dramala. He is the last known victim of Dean, and when he was he was 13 when Elmer led him to the house, and he did this just a few days before Dean was murdered by Elmer. And so that's all the victims, and pretty much like what I could find that happened with them. But what I do have to say is you have a very special place in hell if you can lure people that you claim to be your friends to be murdered for like five dollars a piece. Yeah. He and when you think about this, he barely made a hundred and twenty dollars doing this. Like if he was if he would have lured all twenty-eight of them, literally a hundred and twenty dollars for twenty-eight lives. Is that worth it? No. I can't imagine a dollar amount that one life is worth, let alone twenty-eight of them. And I, how do you literally like how? Just makes me I don't have any words. Yeah, I. Awful. Man. Yeah. Um. So that is the case of the Candyman. Um. We can put that away and never talk about it again. Yeah. I honestly, I wouldn't hate that. Can't lie to you. Yeah. Um, But just, I just, I. That one's bad, guys. I don't like Mm. it. Yeah. But. Um, so many of them so young oh my goodness gracious 13 to 20 years old what an age group well the oldest one was Those poor babies they're, still, like, they're like you know you're still so like 13 years old literally children yeah one like, to being a literal child. babies like I... <sighs> a literal baby well, well didn't there. like that one I'm gonna put a tracking chip in my children if I can figure out an ethical way to do that. I didn't really like researching it, but I was like, you know what? I feel like, and I I had heard of it, but I wasn't. A, I knew I had heard someone else cover it, but I was like, um, what exactly happened to 
I don't remember where we watched a documentary on this, but we watched a documentary on this not that long ago. Like, it's been since we moved in this house. I'm, there was something, maybe I'm making this up, but I, I do want to cover John Wayne Gacy, but there was something that they put out on Discovery Plus. That's what it was, Hadley. That's what it was. Yes, okay, so there was something on Discovery Plus, and it was like a limited series, it's like four or five episodes, but it's saying that John Wayne Gacy and the Candyman were intertwined, because I think, isn't John Wayne Gacy in Indiana, is that where he is? Yes, yes. We didn't get through the whole series, but that's how I know about this guy. That's what it was. He was in Indiana. I think it was Indiana or Ohio. Or maybe both. Um, Let me see. Because I I, love to watch stuff. So he was in he was in Illinois. Oh, Um, we knew it was one of the eyes. But I did um, I did watch that. And maybe that's what I was also thinking of. Let me see if I can find the name of it really quick. Um, John Wayne. I love watching all things John Wayne Gacy. He he he. Um, he's just Frankie, so interesting. I don't want to say Frankie likes like likes John Wayne Gacy, but yeah, no, Frankie I don't finds, like. That is Frankie that finds is it interesting one, as well. That is one that genuinely intrigues me, and I don't know what it is. So there's a book called. It's a show as well. It's called the. Horrific, uh, what is, oh my god, I just saw the name for it, now it's gone, hold on. It's called The Crimes of the Candyman and John, and the Clown Killer. So there's basically, it's the Clown and the Candyman documentary. Okay. Uh, and it's, yeah. it's on Hulu as well, but I believe I, maybe I did watch it on Hulu, but, um, it basically just kind of talks about how they think that the two of them, um, the four-part series identifies a link between the murderers and a network of pedophiles operating in the United States around the time of yep. its director. And docu- documentary maker Jacqueline, Jacqueline Finan believes there is no question that there are more victims of the pair who have yet to, been, yet to be discovered. Oh, no doubt. Did, did mm-hmm. he say that? that? Coral and Gacy are the most shocking serial killers in the U.S. because they operated for so long in big cities in plain sight and nobody noticed. And mm-hmm. many of their victims, who were all young boys and young men, would all go missing and nobody cared. Um, they would just be called runaways. Um, so this is actually a super interesting series. And I thought that that's what it was, but I couldn't totally remember. But yeah, I, maybe we did watch it on Hulu, but I thought it was on Netflix or on Discovery. Plus. I don't remember where we watched it, but we yeah. started and we watched like the first episode and a half of it, and then we like couldn't stay awake anymore, and then we kind of forgot about it. But I need to find. Yeah, it. John Wayne Gacy really, really, really intrigues me. Um, yeah, and same. I don't, I, I don't know what it is about him, but it's literally it's called The Clown and the Candyman, and it just says that journalist Jacqueline Jacqueline Bynum connects the murders of John Wayne Gacy in Chicago with the Houston mass murders by Dean Coral, revealing a network of pedophiles spanning across the country. And they also, they talk about in some of the episodes, like, um, people, like, there was a guy who, like, kept in touch with John Wayne Gacy while he was in prison, and he would, like, communicate with him, and, like, he tried, like, phone conversations with him. It's starting to come back to me a little bit more, but yeah, she basically just kind of, like, blows the blows the lid off this like and we don't know if it's true or not to me it was believable i don't think that she would be lying about this but it was basically just like an underground network of pedophiles that were spanning all across the country and she believes that the two of them were involved and that they were part of the network and part of the ring and that's why Mm -hmm. they were okay can we bust up this ring where are these rings i will i will bust up in there (laughs) 
Yeah, because I, I will put a stop the to it. Department was not willing to help at the time, but um, you don't need a police department. You have me. We got Jerry. <laughs> we got Jerry. I think they're so interesting though. A woman because... who needed help copy and pasting on her MacBook <laughs> earlier is going to break. That is very MacBook. different than saving people from pedophiles. Technology is different, but I think they're so interesting because they operated in plain sight for so long. Yes. Like the way and the way John Wayne Gacy was caught, like the officer like in his bathroom and then he smells like that smelly smell. Yeah. The one I hope to never smell myself. You know, and then like he's like, wait a minute, wait a minute, hold up. This is weird. <laughs> this is suspicious. I yeah, I think that that is part of like and John Wayne Gacy I think too because like like you said, it just it all happened just like why did no one care? Like it was just your neighbor, parents, dude. Their parents cared, obviously, but like to yeah. me, it was the fact that like because sometimes with people like this, they will kind of just like operate and like kind of just stay, and they become so obsessed with like the act of what they're doing that they they can't function in society like a normal person, so they just kind of become so self-absorbed and obsessed with what they're doing. And then for the for not just John Wayne Gacy, but also for Dean as well, the fact that they were running businesses working actual jobs like doing normal like normal citizen type mm -hmm. things during the day and then literally like the police you they interview some of the police in that episode or in that show that like were like tailing john wayne and like they were just like yeah like we were basically just tailing him waiting to see if he would slip up and like yeah. i want i want to say he was still getting boys even with the police tailing him like he was still he able was. to kill I don't get how people have these like double lives like this because I'm barely hanging on with my normal. I was gonna say I struggle life. to get through the one that I do live through every yes. day, so I can't imagine having to add a second layer to the tomfoolery <laughs> and the bullshit that is my current life. <laughs> Basically, <laughs> can't imagine adding a second layer to this. Um, if I did that, Gary would really probably divorce me. He would just be like, "You, you were already a lot to begin with. Now you're extra a lot. Layer. Now you're extra a lot." You're too oh, much of an onion. You had too many layers. Yeah, he's like, I am not Shrek. I, I do not. I do not like parfaits. I do not. Everybody loves cake. Everybody loves cake. Um, but I hope you guys enjoyed having my sister here. Um, she did. It has been a pleasure. Thank you all for allowing me to be here. You're welcome. Now literally. Here. Now she's British. Literally, she's here on the track. Literally, what, you think I was gonna come on here and just sound like this the whole time? Well, what you sound like on the phone. Hour that we were on Facetime yesterday, you were like, "Well, y'all quit, get over here, sound like Granny." Now, now, don't spill your milk on the floor. <gasps> be, be careful, you're gonna fall out of that chair. <laughs> I done told you not to tip that chair like that. You're gonna break your neck. Don't hang upside down on the couch. Get a get okay. a pee pad. <laughs> Y'all know better than that that I have a customer service voice, okay? I was literally about to say, get on your prepad. <laughs> <laughs> but also, like, just before we started recording, when you called me, you were like, I can't figure this out. I can't figure out how to copy and paste. It does sound like <laughs> Granny, though. <laughs> it does. It sounds like Granny. I can't, I can't help it. it. I can't help like, it. Can't help it? <laughs> And, you know, I was just waiting on you to start stumbling on the name. Scott, Hadley, I was just waiting for you to do that. <laughs> no, you want to know something funny? I mess up and call Kellyanne Hadley more than I do anything else throughout the day. 
list. She'll do something and be like, Heather, I mean, Killian! She is oh my me. She sure is. She might not look at that me. But Lord, Lord Jesus, speed. the child I'm is gonna me pray for you, girl. I need it. <laughs> She's me reincarnated. Maybe that's why when you call me and you're like, you've got to come and get her! I'm like, well, she's doing it even that bad. <laughs> I'm gonna pray for you, girl. Maybe that's why. I'm like, no. And then today you're like, have you been sleeping? I'm like, no, I've been crying. <laughs> well, yeah, you sounded like you were asleep. I was like, are you good? She's like, no, I've been crying. And I was like, oh, this is not a phone call I thought I was gonna have, but okay. Oh, okay, bye. <laughs> We're not good with emotions. See ya. I handled that quite well, I think. She stopped crying, I think. For yeah. temporarily. And then why I cried you, later. Why, why do you have to think so long? When, when I said I think you stopped crying, you were like... Well... Yeah. I was sitting there thinking, I was like, did I stop crying? And I did. But then I was like, no, I cried some more. But it was when uh, Frankie was leaving for work. He was leaving for work and I was like... Ah! Nope, I'm here alone. Basically. She cried again. It's okay. We were on night shift, so like I'm alone all day, and then he leaves at dinner, so I'm alone again all night. Like we cry in the club sometimes. <laughs> uh, when Camila Cabello said there ain't no crying in the club, I don't know what club she was at because my club is full of tears. So. Yeah, because I just cry all the time. I just be crying. <laughs> It'd be like that. But thanks for coming and tagging in on this episode, Jerry. This fun. Thanks for the invite. We Sorry. hope to have you in the future. Yeah. Uh, well, I'm not going to say anytime, but just let me know. Hit me up. After bedtime. She has to pencil us in after 8 p.m. Eastern Standard. Yeah, 8.15, we good. <laughs> See, thankfully for me, like, I have something I need to do at, like, 7.15 my time. And so I was like, I kept thinking, like, we were talking and you were like, yeah, it has to be 8.15, 8.15, whatever. And I was like, oh, my God. 8.15? I was like, I got to be at someone's house at, like, 7 o'clock. How am I going to do that? <laughs> I realized, then I remember <laughs> there's three hours. I'm three hours behind you and then i was like oh my god what is emily gonna do i'm like emily's an hour behind her it's only 17 for some reason i was thinking jerry and i were in the same time zone that emily was the one an hour behind i don't know what i was doing but well, i mean we were just in the same time zone but you left i think i physically was present in that time zone but my body was not yeah no <laughs> but thanks know. for coming and tagging along jerry it's been fun yes thanks guys are you gonna do the bye with us Emily can leave the church parking lot she's been sitting and recording in. Teehee. <laughs> I've been kind of scared. In the middle of this episode, you hear my I lock my doors because I realize I've been sitting here the whole time with them unlocked. <laughs> Our next podcast is Emily, Emily died. Me and you. <laughs> Emily died in the church parking lot. She was recording the Candyman episode and the Martha Moxley episode. With in. the door unlocked. With the door unlocked. Girl, Emily. Why did you pack it? I'm um I took it out accidentally, but you know I'm out here in the country, girl. She's packing that, she packing that ass. She you <laughs> no, girl, you gotta stay packing. No, I can't because I don't. She got all the Cheetos time. in that car. I'm sure that's what she. Packed. I got some hand sanitizer for their eyes. French lavender. Oh my gosh, Kelly and picked up my pepper spray the other day, and I'm like, put it down right now. <laughs> no, 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 no. Okay, well, Jerry, you're gonna say our bye with us. Ready? Thanks for coming. Thanks for listening, everyone. Bye. Bye.